Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Talking Philly Sports with Matty B. I am your host, Matt Bernarczyk. It is Wednesday, October the 14th, 2020. That's right, we are the orange and the black. And the black, a little boils punk rock, little boils flyers punk rock to get us started here this afternoon. And as advertised, it is going to be all flyers today. <clears throat> I will sit down and I will go back and we will go back in time together. We will talk the flyers from around the late February 2020 uh, point up to today and um, kind of just get reacquainted with the flyers and reacquainted with the orange and the black. Now, I um, when I came off, when, when, I, when the season was paused back in March and then it was resumed back in late August, uh, I didn't come back to doing pods till about mid-September. So there was just really no time and it was just jump right into the Eagles. But now I am going to go back because I am a hockey guy. That is right. And I'm a pretty poor hockey guy if I haven't really spent enough time talking about the Flyers, but there's a there's a method around my madness. So with the resumption of the season in the bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton, um, and then, you know, with the playoffs kind of playing out the way they did, and then the Stanley Cup finals and all that, and then the draft and then free agency, the way it was set up to immediately follow the Stanley Cup finals, I kind of wanted to let the smoke clear a little bit uh, before I sat down and talked about the Flyers because I want to get – kind of in-depth about what was, what happened, and then what possibly could be for this team heading forward into 2021. So let's kind of like start from the beginning. Uh, Let's go back to about February of 2020. And for those of you who are Flyers fans, and for those of you who are diehard, hardcore hockey fans and Flyers fans, the Flyers were riding pretty high in February. Now, they were riding a nine-game winning streak heading into March the 10th. And that was a game I remember. I remember watching it. I remember um, it was a hard-fought game between the Flyers and the Bruins at the uh, at the center. Flyers went down, I believe, one nothing in that game. And uh, I remember feeling, well, you know, nine-game winning streak was pretty good. And that nine-game winning streak had propelled the Flyers from around the fifth or maybe sixth seed in the East all the way up to the third seed or the fourth seed in the East and in a solid four seed. Matter of fact, they were, um, they were knocking on the door of the division lead at the time with 89 points. And it was a real great uh, time in, in the, during the season um, because of what the Flyers had did had done earlier in the season in October, November, December, January, leading up to that run in February really started to make a, make believers out of a lot of people to include myself. Um, I remember when the season began in October, I mean, I had tepid expectations for this team. Um, my expectations for the Flyers heading into the season were, I thought they were a playoff team. I thought they were a bottom feeder, uh, a bottom feeder playoff team, a seven, eight seed. But there was a couple of things that I wanted to see happen from within the game. Now, Alain Vigneault was his first year as, as coach, uh, Chuck Fletcher was his real first offseason, first draft. And then more importantly, Carter Hart 
his first full season as flyer as flyer goaltender. There was a lot of things to be optimistic opt, optimistic about this team. The, the the days of the Ron Hextall, Dave Hextall, what are you doing type of days were kind of behind us. It seemed there was a little bit more stability with hockey, like hockey guys in charge of the operation. And then I'm not taking anything away from what Ron Hextall did. Ron Hextall came in here with a with a mythology. And that was to build this team or rebuild this team through the draft. And he has done that. And we are now starting to see that happen on the ice. We are starting to reap the benefits of that uh, on the ice. But I think the biggest thing about Hextall that I had was his unwillingness to kind of give this team a fighting shot every year. And what I mean by that was going out and finding those, not so much those type A free agents, those, those multi-million dollar game changers because I understood that the Flyers were not one a cap team that could do that and they weren't really built for that type of player just quite yet but bringing in some type B free agents some of those scrapper role player veteran guys that could lend their lend their talents as as both mentors and teammates to this young team I really I really thought that Ron Hextall did a poor job in, in trying to balance that and um and obviously, he was never a big fan of the Hackstall hire. Uh, you know, a, a college hockey coach coming in just didn't think it was the right um, guy for the job. Now, Dave Hackstall has since landed on his feet. He, he was the uh, he's an assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs, so he's back in the game and he's probably learning more about when or about how to be a coach again and. Hopefully that helps him in his next opportunity when he ever does get the opportunity to be a head coach. But <clears throat> March 10th, 2020, the Flyers were sitting at 89 points. They were sitting as the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, and they were hot. They were red, red hot. And they were coming off that loss. And their next scheduled game was on March 12th. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with history, or for those of you who don't remember, March 12th was the day that it all, let's face it, stopped. All right. That was the day that the Rudy Gobert testing positive, the ramifications of that, it had seeped into the professional sports world. It, 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 it was just, we couldn't ignore it anymore. I mean, it was starting to run through the population here in America, but once it got to the NBA, it was funny. That's when it triggered it all. And I remember within hours after him coming out or that news coming public about him contracting Corona, the NCAA that was, uh, they were, they were hosting their conference basketball championship tournaments in preparation for March Madness. And I remember games being canceled at halftime, literally teams going out on the floor, playing a half of basketball, going back to the locker room and never coming back. Uh, there was games canceled minutes before they were supposed to start. There was teams that came onto the floor and other teams that didn't come on the floor. You know, they 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 had a team that showed up and said we're going to play, and then they had the, the other teams were like, the other team was like, nah, we're not coming out. I mean, it was just chaotic. Uh, and then the NHL followed suit. The Flyers were actually in Tampa getting ready to play a game on the evening of March the 12th when Gary Bettman uh, effectively ended or paused the 2019-2020 NHL season. And with it, the hopes and dreams of us Flyer fans who were 
itching for what this season could be. Um, the expectations by this point now, when you have 89 points in mid-March, but still like they had 12 games left to play, I wonder they were high as hell, you know. Uh, the trading deadline had had wrapped up about two two and a half weeks earlier. The Flyers brought in Derek Grant and Nate Thompson, uh, very low risk, high reward veteran type guys that come in and really give us an opportunity in the playoffs. Knew how to play playoff hockey. You know, Derek Grant was a, a Stanley Cup champion with Anaheim. Um, really, just a real optimistic time, and it all came crashing to a halt. And I don't need to go back and probably tell you all what March 12th through the end of May was like. Obviously, we all remember that very vividly, uh, quarantine city. But to the National Hockey League's credit, uh, out of all the four major sports leagues, and I've actually gone on record of saying this, they were the first really to come up with a solid plan to return. It was never in question with the NHL whether or not they were going to return or not. It was just a matter of when and, and how. And to their credit, not only did they get that done, they also got a CBA redone during the stoppage that guarantees labor peace in the National Hockey League through the 24-25 season. So if you're looking at any of our major sports leagues here in North America, the National Hockey League really is the guide, is the light. You know, they, sh they showed everybody the way, and they were very uh, detailed, thorough, and they were they were passionate about getting back on the ice. So that was great. That was a consolation to everything that we were dealing with. So here we are. We're sitting in quarantine. And then, as I said, the NHL comes out with this plan. Now, the plan was, how do you decide whether or who, if you're going to, if you're going to crown a Stanley Cup champion, which the NHL was dead set on doing, how do you determine who your playoff teams are? Because, as I said, some teams still had about 12 games left to play. Other teams had eight games left to play. Some teams were bubbled in that hunt for that final or seventh spot in their conference. I mean, there was a log jam down there um, in, in the standings, uh, to, be, to, be, to be quite blunt. Um, just really kind of... Um, as I recall it, you had the top eight teams in the East were Boston, Washington, Tampa, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Toronto, Ottawa, and Columbus. Those were your top eight, right? Those were the teams that if the playoffs had ended or season had ended on March 12th, they would be the eight teams from the East that would go and play. But right below the Columbus Blue Jackets, you had the Islanders, uh, were one point back of that eighth seed. You had the Rangers that were two points back. You had the Florida Panthers that were three points back. Then you had the Montreal Canadiens that were kind of on the outlier side. They were 10 points back. So what do you do with the Islanders, Rangers, and Panthers? And I'll, I guess I'll toss the Canadians in there. What do you do with that? Because mathematically, all those teams still had a shot at the playoffs if the season were to play out of its 82 games. And it was a similar picture in the West, a very similar picture in the West. You had your top, um, you had your top teams in the West. 
You had uh, St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, Edmonton, Dallas, Calgary, Winnipeg, and Nashville. Okay, there's where your top eight. But right below Nashville, you had Vancouver that was literally tied for the eighth seed along with Nashville. You had Minnesota behind them that were one point out of that spot. You had Arizona behind them at four points, and you had Chicago behind them at six. Again, these teams all had anywhere between 12 and eight games left to play in their season. So what are you going to do? Are you going to tell the Canucks, Wild, Coyotes, and Blackhawks, you know what? Um, thanks for playing. We'll see you next year. You couldn't do that. So the NHL came up with this, this scheme. Let's call it a scheme. So they were going to, they were going to go into a bubble, which meant they were going to take the Eastern conference and the Western conference, right? They were going to send the Eastern conference to Toronto. They were going to send the top 12 teams in the Eastern conference to Toronto. And they were going to bubble and quarantine them there. They were going to then send the top 12 teams from the Western Conference out to Edmonton, and they were going to bubble and quarantine there. And then they were going to play a, a seeding round, a play-in round, and then they were going to actually go through the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. Okay? Now, how they broke that down and how they, they, they compiled it was that the one for – the one – two, three, and four seeds per conference received a automatic pass into the uh, their, their conference quarterfinals. So essentially the one through four were already going to the playoffs. They were they were in. They were in, right? The five through twelves per conference were going to have to play a three-game play-in round and determine whether or not who moves on into the playoffs. It was mixed with some mix. It was met with some mixed reviews. It was met with some contention. It was met with, well, uh, it's not fair. And and the biggest team that had the biggest contention with, with it were the Pittsburgh Penguins. So the Penguins, who finished as currently when the season was halted as the fifth seed, were now pitted up against the twelve seed Montreal Canadiens for an opportunity to play. Into the playoffs, so they weren't given a they weren't given a buy. So it was really like new. It was and it was really cool. I, I kind of like the way they did it. I really did. Now, am I an advocate of it continuing past the, this past year? No, I think we need to go back to the, the the format. The eight teams stay where we're at. Okay, but as far as the Corona season, it it was it was great. It it did what it had to do. Now. The top four seeds, as I mentioned, are already going on into the uh, into their conference quarterfinals. But in order to kind of give those top four teams an opportunity to have some competition in the first round so that you didn't have a situation where you had a team playing in the conference quarterfinals playing against a team that's just came out of a three-game series, and they're kind of, you know, don't forget, they haven't played hockey in four and a half months. So, you know – it was, it'd be kind of unfair to have a team that's literally cold playing against a team that just finished the series. So they decided to take the top four teams in, in the conference and they had a seeding playoff round, meaning um, one played four, two played three. Okay. And they, they would play each other. And the winner of the tournament, it would be a one game elimination tournament. If you, uh, you basically 
win, you move on, you win, you move on. Even though everybody played each other as a top four, but the winner of that tournament would be determined to be the number one seed. You guys can understand what I mean by that, right? So the Flyers were pitted up against the um, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Washington Capitals, and the um, and the Boston Bruins. It was those four teams. And those four teams were going to play a one-game tournament against each other to determine seeding, the top four seeding in the Eastern Conference. Now, the Flyers came out playing well. They really did. They handled their business and they defeated the Montreal Canadiens, or I'm sorry, they defeated the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Boston Bruins, and the Washington Capitals, thus securing the number one overall seed in the East. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, why does that even matter in a bubble season or in a, in a neutral site season? You're absolutely correct. The, the whole no fans and, and, and no home ice, yeah, absolutely. Now, the one thing, though, in hockey, which is good, when you are the home team, you are you get the last change. So prior to a face-off, if you go out and you skate out to center ice and you see, you look over to your opposition and your coach sees a different line that he doesn't like, then he can pull another line off the bench real quickly and move that line into play, and the visiting team can't do it. They're stuck, right? So they get last change. So that was really the only advantage of being the home team or the higher seed in these playoffs. So the Flyers, um, now let's talk a little bit about the playing tournament itself. Now, I remember watching the, these games thinking, and I distinctly remember thinking this. I thought the Flyers were playing very intense. They were playing like it was the playoffs, right? But when I, when I viewed the teams that they were playing against and when I would watch these teams playing against each other, not the Flyers, I noticed a different thing with those teams. Those teams seem to be using that playing round or that seeding round as a tune-up, as a preseason, as a practice. Again, they hadn't played in four and a half months. Now, I don't have anything to substantiate that. I don't have any evidence. I just have my eyes and what I saw and what I what I witnessed. That it just didn't look like these other teams were playing like it was the playoffs. It looked like they were playing like it was September and they were in the preseason. So the Flyers ended up getting the one seed, right? Now, the way it broke down was the Flyers were the one, Tampa was the two, Boston was the three, and I believe Washington – I'm sorry, Washington was the three and, and Boston was the four. So it was Philadelphia, Tampa, uh, Washington, Boston. Those were, the, those were the top four, right? Now, uh, I'm not going to go into the West. This is not really about me going down, breaking down these brackets and stuff. But how it washed out was during the first round playing round, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Penguins, did get paired up against the Montreal Canadiens. And just like in any playoff series, in any playoff year, Cinderella always has a tendency to show up. And it did in the first round. And it did at the expense of those of the stinking Pittsburgh Penguins. The Montreal Canadiens handed the Penguins a series defeat. They took them out. 
Hello. They took them out. They took them out. It was amazing. It was a great thing to see. It was a team on a mission. It really, really, really was a great thing to see. So the Flyers and Canadians were now pitted up against each other. In the other other plenty of rounds, the um, Columbus Blue Jackets defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Islanders took out the uh, Florida Panthers. And the Carolina Hurricanes took out the Rangers. So moving into the actual conference semifinals, you had the Flyers against the Canadians. You had Tampa and Columbus. You had Washington and the Islanders. And you had Boston and Carolina. Okay? Now, let's talk a little bit about the Flyer-Canadian series. As I said, the Flyers heading into this playoff or heading out of the break into the playoffs, there was a lot of optimism to be witnessed or to be seen. But that optimism was tempered. Okay? The Montreal Canadiens are a far less talented team than the Philadelphia Flyers. They're a very young team. They're a very young, raw, uh, kind of figuring themselves out type of team. And they were they were throwing everything they had at the Flyers. But they're a very fast team. And they're, a very, uh, they're very quick. They're smaller. They move the puck well. They skate really well. And they were giving the Flyers everything the Flyers could handle. The Flyers ended up taking them out in six. But... I, as I've already said before, believe that that was based on just the Flyers' talent level was better than the than the, the uh, Canadian level. I just honestly believe that. The Flyers just had more weapons to throw at them. And um, it was evident, okay? Now, but there were a lot of things that were exposed about the Flyers in that series against the Canadians. And one of those things that would become a problem in the next series was the Flyers' lack of speed on the blue line. Uh, we have a very mixed bag of defensemen on this hockey team. You had the older Matt Niskanen's, the older um, Justin Braun's, the younger Robert Haig's, the younger Shangasosphere, the the middle middle ranged Ivan Provorov's. Uh, the Flyers are a very mixed group of players up on that blue line. And what the Canadians began to expose on the Flyers was the ability to kind of create very simple odd man rushes with just one outlet pass. And that would come back to hurt the Flyers here in the second round or in the semifinals. But it was something I noticed. And also up front, you know, the Flyers' um, lack of goal scoring consistency. You know, when you look at players like uh, Giroux, Voracek, Sean Couturier, and, J- and James Van Riemsdyk, you're looking at hockey, uh, I don't want to say the word royalty because that's not what it is, but it's hockey. It, it's hockey, okay? These guys are proven veterans. Uh, they've been scorers throughout their entire careers. They are. They know how to play the game, and especially how to play the game at the net. But what it, what it was really increasingly obvious was these players had – maybe slowed down, lost the step, didn't possess the ability to sustain transitional play back and forth for a good two-minute shift. And it wore them down a little bit. Uh, This was also evident in the Flyers' power play, which was, I believe, when you sum it up for the playoffs, the number is absurd. The Flyers were 4 for 45 
with the play with the power play during the 2020 NHL playoffs. You're not winning anything in the National Hockey League with a four for 45 on the power play. You sure as hell are not going to win a Stanley Cup. So these things began to kind of present themselves. As I said, the, the Flyers didn't handle their business against the Canadians, but it really got me worried heading into the second round. Now, the second round, um, the first round, other than the, uh, the first round, pretty much kind of played out the way everybody thought it was going to play out. Um, you had basically Tampa uh, moving on, beating Columbus. You, you had, uh, and I wouldn't call this an upset, but you had the Islanders, who are a young, scrappy team. They took out the Canadian or the Capitals. You had Boston beating Carolina. So if there was an upset to be said there, it's the Islander Capital Series. But the Islanders are not a bad team. The Islanders are a really good team. They're a really young team, but they are like two levels ahead of the young Canadians. They are a young team, but they are also a team that's got a lot of good, really good players. And they are a team that's in a different maturation process as an organization. And I was concerned about that. I was absolutely 100% concerned. I much would have preferred a different second-round matchup. Now, <clears throat> the way it would have been would have been the um, Flyers would have probably played um, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Or not the Lightning. They would have played Boston in the second round if Washington had done their job and beaten the Islanders. I would have much preferred that matchup because the Flyers and the Bruins match up better. The Bruins are an older team. They're a big team. They're not particularly fast. They got really good goaltending and good defense. But the Flyers match up better against the Boston Bruins. But that wasn't what it was. The matchup was going to be the Flyers and Islanders. Now, as I mentioned in the first round against the Canadiens about their speed and their ability to kind of create an odd man rush on one one outlet pass or the ability to continuously cycle the puck and keep the puck pinned in the other team's zone, that is what the Islanders thrive on. They are a team that not only prevents you as, a, uh, as an attacking team, when you enter their zone, they are keen on intercepting that first pass. Turn, they are keen on turnovers. They are keen on getting that turnover, transitioning the puck back up the ice, and then sustaining play in the other zone. And they do it with quickness. They do it with players that move the puck and move themselves. And it's a matchup that the Flyers are just not, I don't think they're there yet. I, don't, I just don't think they're matched up quite like that. They got some players that are coming up that might fit that bill. But the way the team was made up or the makeup of the team now, it just was not a good a good matchup. And then again, the power play issues, the issues with the big guys not getting any goals. Kevin Hayes, um, basically in this series against the Islanders, earned every bit of the money that he got from the Flyers this past summer. Um, he was amazing, Kevin Hayes. Carter Hart was amazing. But when you talk about this, you weren't mentioning Claude Giroux. You weren't talking about Jake Voracek. You weren't talking about JVR. You weren't talking about Sean Couturier. 
you weren't talking about them. You just weren't. They were non-existent at all in this series. And the Flyers paid that price. Now, the Islanders got up on them, and they got up on them pretty big. They pulled out to a three-games-to-one lead and had the Flyers pretty much buried. But again, the optimism, the talent, the trending upward path of this of this hockey team, the Flyers, they pulled themselves out of it. And they pushed it to a game seven. And I remember, I remember um, it took it took overtime in order for the Flyers to get to Game Seven. They they all the Flyers' victories were overtime wins. Yeah, and I remember coming into Game Seven thinking this game is going to go one of two ways. It's going to be another grinder. It's going to be another one of those games that are going to end up in overtime, or it's going to be the Islanders get up and they get on top of the Flyers early and they just pound them into the ground. And that's exactly what happened. 